civil rights activist Maya Angelou said, You may not control all events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. How often we get torn apart by things that are totally out of our control and also recognizing as well how much things are totally in our control. Maybe you blame someone else for your experience. Maybe you blame your parents or others in your childhood or blame the kid who hurt you on the playground when you were a child. I get it. We all have past pain and trauma and it is so much easier to just blame someone else for our experience and not take responsibility. Finding our deep-seated wounding and bringing awareness to it is key. Illuminating our patterns can help move it through. Integrating our shadows, our dragons, our fears. So many of us with coping strategies. Maybe you're eating your way out of a stressful situation. Or as Coot Blackson so brilliantly said on episode 14. And you could say, claim my destiny. And uh, sometimes we feel the pain of what our untruth is costing us. But because it's painful, we don't want to feel it. So what I've seen that we do that keeps us stuck, we distract ourselves from, oh, this is so painful. You know, I, I, this, this, this misalignment that I'm living is so painful. So let me drink it away. Let me drug it away. Let me smoke it away. Let me, let me shop it away. Let me sex it away. Let me social media away. Coot nails it here and fails to mention a huge one in our culture, eating our pain away. Have you done that? I know I certainly have moments of high emotion and choose to drown it with food. Taco Bell and In-N-Out Burger were my vices when I felt down and out needing some comfort food. Thankfully for me, it was a rare occasion, but I still hate that crap. In the U.S., nearly 38% of adults are obese. Nearly 8% are extremely obese. Emotional eating is a very real thing that many of us live on a regular basis. More than one-third of adults are considered to be obese, and more than one in 20 have extreme obesity. Almost three in four men are considered to be overweight or obese. This is a very serious problem, and often stems from some childhood conditioning and wounding. One of the most disturbing things uh, to me is that in the last 20 to 25 years, we've actually seen a doubling of uh, overweight and obese children and adolescents. This taken from Morgan Spurlock's movie, Super Size Me, where he ate McDonald's every day for 30 days straight. All three of his meals were McDonald's. If you have not seen this, give it a watch. Fast food nearly killed him, and he was 24 and a half pounds heavier at the end of 30 days. Wow. The amount of added sugar is crippling to even the healthiest of person, not to mention all the chemicals they add to make it taste just right. Needless to say, it is very unhealthy and highly addictive. And in the end, we always have a choice. I remember being teased when I was a young child. I was a late bloomer emotionally and always a bit skinnier and smaller in stature than most of my childhood friends. It wasn't until I turned and faced my buddies on the football field at my grade school where we were playing tackle football that I learned the power of heading straight into my biggest fear as a young child, the fear of getting physically hurt by other kids bigger than me. I can remember the moment so clearly how I turned and faced them and ran straight for them. I had a courage I had never experienced before. This was the day I felt in control of my fear, control of my power, and control of my life. I experienced a moment of choice, awareness that my experience was truly up to me and that I could create what I wanted. Oftentimes it's in the smallest of moments that we find our strength and deeper self. I felt the fear and did it anyway. It was right then that I could have literally run the other direction or just lean in and went for it. Another dragon growing up was school was very difficult for me. I felt forced into a system that I knew in my core was not relevant, at least for me. I also had this experience of being too smart for school, as if it was easy, but then why was it so damn difficult? I remember having to read pages over and over again and would retain next to nothing. It was as if I had never even read the material at all. I would try hard, lose interest, get behind, then feel like a failure and give up and not try anymore. All of this would lead to lower self-esteem and less confidence overall. Can you relate to this cycle? Was yours similar? I'm so curious to know. Please comment somewhere, either on the Facebook comments below or in the Facebook group. Around 2009, I was attending a conference where the amazing Lisa Nichols was speaking, and there was a booth outside with a gal sharing her knowledge around learning disabilities. 
I told her how I could look at a page in a book and the words on the page would sometimes shift and move around, or I could read page after page and not retain any of it. She handed me a paperback book and a bookmark. However, this bookmark was different. It had a slit cut out in the middle. She held it sideways on the page so that I could only see one line of text at a time. She said firmly, almost knowing what my response would be beforehand, try reading now. I'll never forget this moment. I had a huge moment of instant relief. I literally looked at her with my jaw on the ground in amazement. She said, Brad, you have dyslexia. I was like, wow, really? I said, but I don't flip letters around in words. Do I still have it? She said, yes, you do. How could I have gone all these years without knowing this? How could my life have been different if I was diagnosed with this when I was in school? 70 to 80% of people with poor reading skills are likely dyslexic. One in five students or 15 to 20% of the population has a language-based learning disability. Dyslexia is the most common of the language-based learning disabilities. The point in sharing this is twofold. First, you might have something like this buried in you so deeply and have no idea it's running you. And second, you might not have much control over it, especially if you ignore it, but there sure is something you can do about it. With years of correcting my diet, my thoughts, my self-talk, my practices, doing workshops and anything I could get my hands on to become a better version of myself, I made a shift and now can read and retain. I can focus and kick ass in my life and I'm now using my dyslexia dragon instead of it using me. And so can you. Welcome to the Face Your Dragon podcast where we help you, a messenger with a mission, leverage your fear to amplify your voice in the world. On the show, we open up the concept that what you are most afraid of and most resisting are the very things that will set you free. With courage, with clarity, with contribution, you can have it all. This show will engage in deep, enriching conversation with thought leaders, best-selling authors, celebrities, athletes, icons, and regular Joes who have faced their fear and are now using it to create impact in the world. I'm Brad Axelrad, and I'll be your host. Today's guest, Jason Goldberg, is an award-winning entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and a baconitarian. That's a vegetarian who still eats bacon. A funky sock lover, a former rapper who opened up for the Wu-Tang Clan. Yes, really. And a previously 332-pound man who has since lost over 130 pounds despite his affinity for bacon. Jason burns up the Face Your Dragon podcast with his wit and brilliance. I'm so excited to share this. JG for short is the king of playful sales, success, and leadership. He's a geek turned entrepreneur, international speaker, edutainer, and creator of the Playful Prosperity Program, an author of the number one international bestseller on self-leadership, Prison Break, Vanquish the Victim, Own Your Obstacles, and Lead Your Life. Listen in to one of my favorite interviews of all time. Jason Goldberg, it's so great to have you on the Face Your Dragon podcast today, my brother. Welcome. Dude, I am so flipping honored to be here and to be a part of your work in the world. So thanks for having me. Cool, man. So we are streaming my first Facebook Live doing one of these podcasts on Jason's uh, page. And it and we were just talking about the nervous excitement that that kind of comes up. And that's when we could or should say yes to that to that nervousness. So where have you done that in your life, brother? Where, where have you felt that nervous excitement and just said yes anyway? Oh God. I mean, I feel like it, I feel like it's every part of my business. Every time I do something new, it's like, you know, we were talking before, like I'm in the middle of my first launch right now. And it's like edge splitting edge. It's not even edge leaning into, it's like edge, you know, going a thousand miles an hour into in pretty much every single day with different things I've never done before. And it's, and it's really like my question of going back to, am I really here on this planet to be of service? If so, whatever fear I'm having, it's not that it's not really there. It's fucking irrelevant. And I just need to continue to be of service. And so, dude, I'm leaning into that edge every single day. Are you feeling it right now too, brother? I'm curious on that level of nervous excitement. What, what's present for you right in this moment? I'm not. I'm actually, I'm so excited to, to be here with you. And I'm so excited that you have allowed yourself to lean into what we're doing now with the whole Facebook Live thing that I'm just like giddy for your stretch and giddy to like be here and witness that. It's beautiful, man. So what... What are some of the biggest stretches or dragons you've had to face? Let's focus on those. What are some of the biggest dragons you've had to face in your life? Ooh, 
I mean, you know, the, the number one dragon that that I think I've had to face and, and, it, and it hasn't gone away. Like this is one of those dragons that's kind of a, a naggy little kid that does the I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you thing. Um, and, and I think it's just this question of like enoughness. Right. And, and growing up, I had tons of love for my mother. Like my mom was a super engaged mom and, and just loves me to death. And she's a Jewish mother. So, you know, she can hear everything we're saying. And, and, and that was always there. Yet I still had this thing where I felt like I wasn't enough. And, and a lot of that stemmed from my weight being really, really heavy set my entire life uh, up until, you know, my late 20s when I ended up being 332 pounds. It was this constant struggle of like, how can I prove my value to the world? How can I get validation from others personally and professionally? So that's one of those things that is still the ego still comes up and like flicks me behind my ear and says, hey, dude, we're not done with you yet. And so that's a dragon that I'm having to face all the time. And and for me, it's like, can I play with that dragon instead of trying to slay that dragon? Well, that's the key, brother. You know, there's two metaphors there. A lot of folks are, you know, conquer your fear, smash your fear in the face, you know, (laughs) and my take on it is a little different. It's about using that fear, leveraging the fear. You know, we've got this pharmacy in our brain that produces all these chemicals for us to tap into. So I agree with you there, brother. What, how do you do that personally? Because I mean, you're, you're, like you said, you're in a big launch, you're, you know, you've got all this nervous excitement and all this energy happening. What, how are you actually using it and sort of redirecting it? Yeah, it's been, it, this is really, what's so cool about this, it, being in this launch is that, I, I don't think this is by accident, I think this is kind of one of those universal principles, is that everything I'm teaching in the program that I'm launching, I'm being tested to see if I can actually walk my talk and to see if I can act, if I actually drink my own Kool-Aid. And so I'm having to do more inner work every day than I normally have to, which is awesome. So, so the entire, you know, the program is all about, it's called Playful Prosperity. So it's all about, you know, being playful in your life, being lighthearted, not taking things so effing serious all the time. And that's kind of my mission in life is to eradicate the seriousness that we have been conditioned to believe we need in order to be successful. And so it's hilarious. It doesn't seem hilarious in the moment when it happens. It seems hilarious now looking back. It's hilarious when I wake up taking everything so fucking seriously and like just just like beating myself up and saying like, you know, what's wrong with you? You should have this done already. You should have this figured out. You should, you know, you know all this stuff. Why isn't it working for you? Why aren't you doing more of it? And immediately I'm like, oh my God, I am taking everything so damn seriously. So for me, the practice day by day throughout, especially throughout these last few months that leading up to the launch and now in the launch is, is seeing, can I really practice what I preach? Can I look at what's going on and see it as material for improving in the game of life? Can I look at the things that are going off in my head, these heavy or stressful or negative thoughts and see them as what they really are, which is a light on the dashboard of the intelligence system that we have been gifted and blessed with to let me know something may be off, right? Just like when my my gas light goes off in my car, I don't sit there and scream at my car and say how stupid it is and how dare it need more gas. I say, oh, cool. Thank you for the reminder now before I'm completely out of gas and stranded in the middle of the highway. Thank you for putting on the little early detection system so I can slow down and ask myself, what is it that I really need in this moment? And so that's the question I'm asking myself every day, multiple times a day is what am I being called to step into? What is it that I need in this moment? And what would be possible if I was 5% less serious about whatever's in front of me right now? Wow, bro, that is freaking brilliant. So, dude, I got to circle back to the weight. You said, uh, wait, you yeah. said 300 and what? 332 pounds. And how tall are you, dude? I am 6'1", but that that's still pretty effing big. Bro, that, yeah, that was, is, you were just saying to lighten up and not be so serious. Yeah. And it's and we've talked about that before, right? There was, there was a metaphor you used that was brilliant. I forget what it was. I want you to share it in a second. But like how fucking heavy... And painful that must have been on so many people to carry that weight on your knees, on your psyche, you know, uh, on your checkbook as far as what you were eating. I mean, dude, it's yeah. that is some serious business there. And I'm happy you're still with us, brother. Because many, many people that never, never turn that corner will stay obese or morbidly obese. I mean, that's probably bordering on morbidly obese, is it not? At that weight? Oh, it was way, it was way into morbidly obese. I was, I was in the middle of the upper scale of morbidly obese. I was, uh, I was about 35 to 40 percent body fat. Uh, and so, which is like, like a baby. Um, and, and my BMI was, you know, somewhere in the mid, mid to high thirties as well. 
Dude, so what kind of health problems were you having? I mean, let, I really want to circle back to that. We'll, we'll talk more about what you're up to in the world in a second, but this is so flipping important for people to to get the weight and the magnitude of what was going on for you. Yeah, it, it, it's so interesting, and, and it's it's perfect that it worked out this way. And, and again, I don't think this is a coincidence, is that I really didn't have that many physical health problems when I was at 332 pounds. Like when I would go run or go on a treadmill, I actually had pretty good cardio. Like I had pretty good cardio strength. And and I you know I I was a rapper at one point, right? So I think maybe getting my breath control as a as a performer on stage maybe helped with my cardiovascular system. But I didn't have a lot of a lot of physical health problems. But exactly what you just said, it wasn't that for of weight that was debilitating me, uh, debilitating me all the way. Because when I actually lost that weight, and I, I've since lost over 130 pounds, but when I when I first went on that journey to lose the physical weight and had started losing the weight and lost a, a shit ton of weight, I still felt all that same heaviness. And and so the the types of weight that I was carrying around, the real ailments that I had to my health were not physical ailments, not joints, not cardiovascular, not lungs, not any of those things. It was the emotional weight. And, and the mental weight and yes, the financial weight and worrying about money and worrying about, uh, you know, worrying about my success in my career, worrying about relationships, worrying about all these things. Even when I lost the physical weight, I was still super overweight in the rest of my life. And how did that show up? Because we, you know, the emotional weight, it, well, in your case in particular was more heavy than the physical weight. It's good to hear you were pretty healthy. Uh, yeah. unfortunately, many, many others don't have that, uh, uh, that luck, right? Cause it, it's, yeah. it's luck, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally. I mean the emotional weight, like relationships checkbook, but what, what was happening in your heart, bro? There was something much deeper. Like why, why were you potentially emotionally eating or what was the driver behind your decision-making there? Right. Like the, you know, the spiritual answer was, is I, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't being mindful, right? So I was, you know, I was bored and I would eat when I was bored and I was happy that I would eat when I was happy or if I was sad or if I was stressed, it, I would eat no matter what, right? And, and it was so easy to do that. But, but really it comes back to what I was saying earlier. It was this feeling of enoughness and anything I could do to cover up the pain of not feeling valuable in the world. I mean, shit, dude, this is the reason that, you know, now comedy is a big part of what I do. But when I leaned into being comedic and humorous as a younger person. It was not because I enjoyed comedy and comedy was something that I felt a deep connection to. It was because shit, I'm so overweight and I'm so unattractive and I'm so unlovable. I have got to find some fucking way to add value to the world. So I feel a little bit worth something in this world, right? Like just something that makes me feel like I add some kind of value to the world. And I'm not just a piece of shit. Well, there and <laughs> Just a fat eating piece of shit, dude. And I, exactly. I mean, that's yeah. what I felt. Yeah, that's what I felt wow. like. And, and I was also, I was also like a hopeless romantic and, and, you know, girls would never be into me and I would just have crushes all the time. And of course that would just crush me even more. And so like all these things happening. So the two things that I really leaned on to help me get through that, they were total crutches were essentially comedy and empathy. Like being the guy that all the girls could at least talk to about their problems made me at least feel like I had some value in the world. So I think all the eating stuff stemmed from, I've got to find some way to be validated, to be approved of, and to figure out where I add value to the world. Man, it's amazing. You know, there comes that defining moment. I just uh, was uh, interviewing Adam Markell, the former CEO of Peak Potentials, the T. Harv Eker millionaire mind fame uh, yeah. this week. And his book is Pivot. We talked about Pivot. We'll talk about your book, Prison Break, in a bit. But Pivot, you know, there comes that defining moment where we have to pivot and make uh, make a shift. Now, either by choice, you know, or by some God happening thing, universe, spirit, whatever you want to call it, creating some shift in your life. Uh, for me, it was my dad's death, uh, mm. him passing. You know, I was, I call it the grave of self-indulgence. I was this Orange County, California, BMW convertible driving. You know, I wasn't, forgive the term, a douchebag where I was just like that cocky, arrogant asshole, but I was definitely serving myself in the sense that it was about travel. It was about me. It was about clothes and the beach and women. And, you know, I was recently uh, separated from my fiance and it was like, oh, I was like indulging, had a lot of money and cars and motorcycles. What was that defining moment for you that created the big shift for you? 
Yeah. And, and I was a lot in the same boat as you, right? Because, you know, once I, once I got into my career and I was in IT for about 15 years, I was really good at it and I got paid really well for it. So now it's like, oh, cool. Okay, good. I don't have to worry about any this other value shit. All I have to do is keep my net worth and my self-worth connected and everything will be fine. Um, and, and so I kind of, I really focused on that and went all into being really successful and making six figures in my twenties and doing all these things when I was in IT. And and then still felt like shit. And it was like every time there was a new milestone, I hit a new a new project that I, I finished that nobody thought we could get done or a new promotion or, or a new raise or a new whatever. It was so temporary. And this is all when I was still super heavy. Uh, it was all very temporary. And, and on top of that, uh, you know, one thing just to mention is that on, you know, the, the emotional weight that I felt, the way it manifested was I was very, very angry. And I, I was never somebody who was violent towards people, but I was violent towards things. So I was the kid who punched holes in walls, um, who then became the adult who punched holes in walls. And, and I, you know, I would chase people in traffic if they cut me off. Um, I just, I was just, I was always looking for somebody to blame in the world. That's really what it comes down to, dude. I, I had a guiding mantra in my life and it was, who can I blame? Right. And, and that's, that's how I live my life. And so what, to get back to your question. So what happened was I'm, I'm in this place in my life. I'm in my late twenties. I'm making six figures. I'm married to an incredible woman who, for whatever reason, God has allowed me to have this woman in my life and for her to stay with me through all the bullshit that I was going through with my own, you know, crazy anger and whatever. And again, never directed towards her, but still she's not an angry person and she had to witness it. And I, I'm so grateful she stuck by me for that. Um, and she was with me when I was 332 pounds. So I say she got on the ground floor of a good investment. Um, but, but through all, through all that stuff, I, I you know, I, I'm at this moment where, I have all this money in the bank and I'm doing really well and I have a nice car, a nice condo, I got my wife, all these things, and I'm 332 pounds. And and this one day, and I write about this at length in the book, it's the first chapter of the book, it's called The Day the Universe Cut Me Off, um, is that I went to go make a purchase on Amazon, I'll kind of give you the short story, uh, I went to go make a purchase on Amazon and my credit card got declined. And I knew that I had money in the bank and I was not making a big purchase. I was buying socks. I'm a huge sock person. I was in, I'm into like funky designer socks. So I was buying socks. It wasn't a, a bank breaking purchase. And my card was declined. And I, I put the card number in again in case maybe I had, you know, typed it in wrong. And it got declined again. And it said, call your bank for further assistance. And of course, you being a rational human being and probably 99.99% of the people who will listen to this as rational human beings would just call the bank and deal with it but I wasn't a rational human being. And so I responded in that moment, or I shouldn't say responded because that, that means there's some mindfulness. I reacted in the moment with the way that I always reacted when things did not go exactly according to plan, and that was rage. And so I, I'm at my office, I literally throw my desk chair back into the wall behind me and like dented the wall and chipped the paint. I, I you know, grab my cell phone off the table, I fling open my office door and it hits the wall also. And so the person in the, the, the office next to me is like, what the hell is going on? But they're kind of used to me being angry. And I storm out into the lobby of the office building where I can kind of be alone. And I, and I call my bank and I'm, you know, mashing the zero button to get a live person so I can yell at somebody for, for screwing up my day. And I get this, you know, bank representative, super nice guy, this guy named Steven, of course, super sweet and makes me want to kill him even more because he's being so sweet when I'm being so upset. And, uh, and, and I, I demand to know like, what the hell's going on? Like you guys F something up. I can't use my money. What the hell's going on? Fix it now. You guys suck. And they basically told me, uh, well, there were some potentially fraudulent activity on your card. And so we deactivated the card so we could investigate. And so now where, again, a rational person would say, oh, my God, thank you so much. I'm so glad you caught that. No, I went to like level 30. What the hell do you mean? Did somebody hack my account? What's wrong with your security system? What, what, what is, how did these people get access to my money? What, are you, what were the charges? And so he, he types on his keyboard for a second. He comes back and he says, well, Mr. Goldberg, it looks like there were four fast food transactions in one day in Orlando where you live. And we assume somebody had stolen your card and they were testing it, making small purchases before going to make a big purchase. And wow, dude went, yeah, it went silent because those weren't fraudulent charges, man. That was me. I, I had eaten at four fast food restaurants in a single day and it took a multi-billion dollar bank to say, you are out of control. And we are cutting off your means, your access to your own money because of the shitty choices you're making in your life. 
And in that moment, I literally, I, I tried, dude, I really tried. I couldn't find anybody else to blame. I tried. I tried to think about like, oh, well, I was busy, so I just had to go to fast food. Oh, my boss, he expects so much of me. Oh, the clients, they're so demanding. None of that shit was sticking anymore. And I realized in that moment, I was on a burning platform. And either I was going to be burned alive or I was going to jump. And so I decided to jump. So beautiful, man. So, so what I'm hearing is that I, 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 let me, you know, we talk a lot about stimulus and response and the neuroscience behind our choices here and compulsions. What, when you would make these choices, right? Life is about choice. We can choose to get angry. We can choose to eat fast food. We can choose to punch a hole in the wall, whatever it is. What was happening for you in those moments between stimulus and response, that moment of choice, what I call the gap or standing in the gap. We have that yeah. moment. What happens for you when you were choosing the fast food every time or were you just on automatic autopilot? Yeah, and, and that's the thing is I, if given, given the nature of, of the human spirit and of the experience that we wanna have in life, nobody picks that shit. Nobody consciously chooses that. It's definitely a choice but nobody consciously chooses that. So if you had come to me in the midst of that, and, and my wife did this plenty of times, my wife would say to me, uh, when I would chase somebody in traffic who cut me off and get all super pissed off, she'd say, why do you react that way? And to me, it was like asking the question, um, why don't you put uh, ketchup on broccoli? It, it just, uh, what do you mean, why don't I react that way? That, and, and that was my other mantra. My other mantra was, that's just the way I am. So, so yeah, that's, that's great. And that's totally apparent to me now, but it, that I had, didn't have that awareness. That was, that was totally foreign to me. And so it really took, and, and that's where the beauty of, of personal growth came in is, is when I started reading and, and, and started diving into this stuff and, and, and trying to figure out, you know, looking at my wife, who's been through her own version of shit in her life that in many respects is way worse than anything I've ever been through and seeing her show up as this, you know, loving, calm, peaceful person, the majority of the time. I finally said like, okay, wait a minute. I get that she's smarter than me, but there's something that she must know that I don't know. And, and I was inquisitive enough uh, of a human being to say, I got to figure out what that is. But that was the first time I had ever thought that because my entire life I thought there is, there is no stimulus and then response. There's just the shit happens and you just react. That's the way it works. And so that is, is of course, one of the most freeing things any of us can recognize is that as you said, there is that gap and that gap is where the freedom exists. It so is, man. God bless her, first of all. God bless her yes. for putting up with aggro fucking masculine, right? <laughs> Un disintegrated, angry, boy-like masculine that we, fuck, I mean, I'm guilty of that too. Not as yeah. much nowadays, you know, for many reasons. My testosterone's lower. Uh, uh, you know, I'm 44 years old at this point and owning and certainly, you know, attended a hundred workshops and seminars and produced almost 200. So, you know, we've done the work, right? Yeah. So let's pivot for a second here. I want to, I want to hear, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you rap, uh, right now about, about this positive and positively and negatively? Yeah. So rap about which part? <laughs> Let it rip baby. Whatever comes to, whatever comes through you. Ooh. Okay. Let's see a little, I haven't freestyled in a while. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm here with my man Brad Axelrad. I used to be kind of bad, an angry, fat dude who would just eat whatever kind of food he wanted. He never thought about the consequence. He would just go through and eat some nonsense. But now he got real smart. He realized the gap. And now everything is way pushed back and way pushed forward. I'm going toward the things that I really want in life. There's no more strife. There's just striving, all thriving, coming through, feeling really alive when I'm iving and vibing with my boy Brad on the podcast. I might have come through and rapped last, but this time I'm coming through on blast. And I'm now pointing at the Facebook live. Nine to five is not me anymore. I'm all here alive and I'm serving the planet. And I didn't plan it. It's just the way that it came forth. So I'm going to end this now and just say, I'm so glad we're connected. Game's on. Dude, I have chills, bro. Ah. Wow. Oh, thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thank you for being one of the baddest humans I know, sir. <laughs> oh, you're welcome, dude. I love you. Holy shit. Holy shit. All right. So <laughs> I love you too. So talk to me. So TEDx, you've, you've been on TEDx. You, you came, the prison break, all of this, you know, what, what was the next, like, you, you know, you went through the fire, you stood in the fire long enough. You had your defining moment, your hero's journey, your dark night of the soul, 
Now what? What the fuck? Who are you in the world today? What are you doing? I God, who am I in the world today? Like in, in, in this moment, I'm a guy who is just so grateful that this is the work I get to do in the world. And I don't even mean like the actual work I get paid for, like that I just get to sit here and talk to you. Like that's just badass. Uh, I, I don't understand how that's even possible. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I'm sorry. I got, I got so wrapped into just feeling gratitude. Can you ask me the question again? <laughs> I do that too, brother. So, so, so you went through your defining moment, your dark night of the soul and who are you in the world today? What are you up to? How do you serve now that you, now that you're in a place of service instead of self-indulgence? Yeah, totally, man. So, you know, my, my work in the world really is that I, you know, I, I, I tell people this all the time is like people are trying to find like their one thing and the thing they want to go all in on. And I don't really know that that exists. I mean, I have my one thing now, but that, that shit could change at lunch. I, you know, I just know what I'm into right now. And, and what I'm into right now is the one thing that, that challenge has challenged me my entire life. And the thing that I see too many other people suffering from, and it's really living this life of being a prisoner and living a life of just being so serious and, and recognizing that it's okay. There's no, there's nothing right or wrong about being a prisoner or a self leader. There's nothing right or wrong about being serious or being not so serious. There's nothing wrong with being playful versus being, you know, just super staunch all the time. It's about what will give you a more effective experience of life. And so what I'm doing in the world right now is I'm really doing everything that I can to share my experience and my perspective and my expertise, which I'm only an expert on one thing and it's, it's my life and my experiences to help people see, to give them permission or give them a roadmap or give them an example to see that what they have been taught about conditioning and being super serious as being the only means to be successful is total bullshit. That it is the biggest lie we have ever been told and sold in our lives that we have to be serious. My entire life I was told, if you ever want to get into a serious relationship, you need to do this. You better get serious about your health. If you were a serious entrepreneur, you would be doing X, Y, Z. And every time they put forth that to me, it never made me feel light, creative, and wanting to go out and serve the world. It made me feel heavy and debilitated and, and feeling like full of stress and struggle and strain. And so what I finally realized and through a lot of testing uh, uh, on myself and, and with my clients is that you can actually be so much more effective, so much more successful, so much more playful and joyful and fulfilled when you're not so serious. And, and, and the opposite of serious is not joking. The opposite of serious is sincere. You're sincere and you're devoted and you're committed to whatever it is you're doing in the world, but you loosen up your grip. You're not so tense. You're not so pressure filled. It's not so significant in your life. And when we do that, at least again, for me, when I do that, I am more successful and, and I am the perfect person to be teaching this work about shifting from being a prisoner to a self leader because I still have prisoner moments. And I'm the perfect person to teach people about living a not so serious life instead of being so fucking serious all the time because I still take my work and my life way too seriously sometimes. So this is my work in the world. So why not try to create a movement around that so other people can experience that for themselves? So serious, what, is, what does serious look like? Let's, let's try to get people in touch with how that actually happens or shows up. Yeah, totally. I, I love I love that you asked that question. And it's fun. I did a I did a training on this recently where, you know, the, there was something about like, you know, uh, the, the training was about like finding your unique message and overcoming resistance and up leveling your impact. And that's great for like, a you know, a, a marketing message. But in the training, I was like, let's talk about how this really shows up. Right. When you have resistance, what you're really saying is, oh, crap, this is serious. Like if I don't fucking nail this thing and if I don't show up as an all knowing expert and if people don't see me as being the guru and if people see me as being like not perfect, then it's going to fail and nobody's going to take me seriously and nobody's going to want to buy my products like that's some serious shit. Like if I'm walking around in the world thinking, oh, my God, this is my only line in the play. This is the game. Every shot is the game winning shot. I'm going to be so debilitated with fear that I'm not going to actually create anything. Or if I do, it's going to be full of so much struggle and I'm going to be so tired at the end of it. So, so why not approach that from a more playful point of view, from a more lighthearted, optimistic kind of place and say like, cool, like whatever's going on, if I feel, and this is not about getting rid of seriousness, right? This is not about like damning the seriousness and making it so you never have another serious moment. It's exactly what we were talking about earlier. It's recognizing, oh, 
I'm doing that thing again where I'm taking my thoughts seriously. I call this having my Britney Spears moment. I go, oops, I did it again, right? Where I have a- <laughs> Hold on, hold a, on, hold on. Can you sing that for a second? I'm just kidding, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I wanna, I wanna sing it, I wanna sing it breathlessly. Hold on. Oops, I did it again. That, that was pretty good, right? That was good. All right, so, so that's what I do now, like as much as possible, except for the times I don't, I have a thought that pops in my head that says, this is serious, this is make or break, this is the thing that's either gonna put you on the map or ruin your entire career, this is the chance for you to show up and be the, the most amazing speaker or coach or author or trainer in the world. I, I can have those thoughts pop in my head and I can go, oh, I, oh, I'm doing that thing again, where a thought pops in my head and I immediately think that because it's in my head, it must be true. It's so innocent, like uh, we're so sweet and we're so innocent. We're not doing anything wrong when we have these thoughts that make us feel heavy. This is not This is not meant to beat yourself up or blame yourself for believing the thoughts that are in your head. It's so much lighter and more gentle than that. It's just noticing like, oh, I'm doing that thing again. And as soon as you recognize that you're doing that thing and very important second part to this, you don't make yourself wrong for noticing that you're doing that thing it just creates such a clearing for you to be like, cool, I can, I can notice that I can feel that. And it's kind of irrelevant. I can still move forward. So brilliant, man. So Gay Hendricks on episode two talks about your upper limit from the book, the mm -hmm. big leap. And right. So, so what I'm hearing you say is the, these are upper limiting thoughts. They're upper limit thoughts that, that stop us from feeling good or feeling great. He talks about, you'll either break down either in relationship uh, finances or physical health, you'll manifest some sort of challenge in your life in those three areas if you hit an upper limit. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear you say that, but I, I hadn't really thought about the, the seriousness sort of internally, externally. Like how does it show up externally in the world when you're in that state? Like what does it look like? I mean, I guess it's anger. It's, you know, it's, it's all these things, but what does it look like externally? Yeah, you're right. It looks like anger and all those things. So, so I'll give you a metaphor first, and then we can talk about the, the real ways it shows up. But the, the the metaphor that I like to use for this is that when you are when you are super serious, and this is something I actually learned from a mentor. He was talking about something else, and I, and I loved it so much that I've adapted it for myself now. I like to give credit because you have to say things three times before you can stop giving credit to somebody else. Um, so, so he used this metaphor that said, if your hands are dirty, and you walk around your house everything you touch, you will say, why is this thing dirty? Why is everything that I pick up in this house so dirty? Why isn't somebody cleaning this house? But it's because your hands are dirty. So of course, everything you touch appears to Ooh, be dirty as well. That's good. Right? It's like, how could it not? Of course, it's going to look dirty. And so when we're serious, then when we go out into the world, everything has to look serious. Like we don't even have a choice in the matter. Like, and I know if we're really digging in, we always have a choice, but, but your, your beliefs the only job of your belief is to prove itself true, right? That's the only job of a belief, for better or for worse, is to prove itself true. And so if we go out into the world and we have this, this lens of seriousness, we don't have any other ability but to see seriousness. I remember this woman I was talking to one time and she said, I, I think I'm a bad mother. And I said, why? And she goes, because I yell at my kids and I get frustrated with them, and sometimes I can't stand it when they're going crazy and running around the house, and I just want some peace and quiet. And it occurred to me, and it occurred to her very quickly too, that of course she yells and screams at the kids and gets frustrated. She sees herself as a bad mother. What other choice would she have if she sees herself as a bad mother than to react the way she thinks a bad mother should react? She's taking her reactions way too seriously. So if instead she were to say, oh, I'm doing that thing again where I yell at the kids and get frustrated. What am I being asked to step into in this moment, right? How can I play with this? And maybe what she's being asked to step into is just to slow down or to ask her partner for more help or to be more firm with the kids or to laugh at whatever they're doing and, and see that it's actually funny and ridiculous and not as serious as she thought it was. But until we have that different lens to look through, until we're willing to look at the world like somebody like Robin Williams would look and see everything as improv and see everything as material, then of course everything is going to look serious personally, professionally, your health, your relationships, everything. Wow, man. Well said. Well said. So what I'm wondering though is that or what I what just sort of dawned on me is that, you know, a lot of life's experiences, we may be taking things serious, too seriously and having these reactions in ourselves and in others and, and creating these dramas in our lives. 
But there's something there to say for being able to effectively ask for what we need and not not well up in the in the passive aggressive behavior of, oh, gosh, my boundaries are being crossed. I don't know how to communicate effectively what I need or what my boundaries are. And then we'll passive aggressively. And I, I've done this a hundred a thousand times, a million times and and not communicate what I need or say, hey, that that really doesn't work for me. Like I'd I'd really like it if this could happen or if you could do this or sit with me or whatever it is. Right. And yeah. of course, men and women uh, communicate in different ways. But I think it comes down to effective communication and effective requests. So while we get aware of these experiences in our lives, it's so freaking important to become really aware of how you're asking for what you need. Yeah. So have you noticed a, a shift in, in your ability to really make requests of what you need now that you've minded the gap, you've, you've bought yourself that split second of choice and you're able to communicate more effectively? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this, this, is, this is the big shift that, that I call going from expectations to co-creations. And, 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 you know, all of our disappointments or, you know, I, I could say 99%, but I truly believe in my heart. It's a hundred percent, a hundred percent of our, our, our disappointments in life, whether it's of others or of ourselves is based around expectations, right? We expect that somebody should be doing something they're not doing. They should be doing it in a way they're not doing it. Um, we could do it better, or we should be doing things in a way that we think is better than the way we're doing it. And so we have these expectations of ourselves. And so a co-creation is the ability to make a request for what you want, but to do it from a co-creative place. I think that if you, if you think about somebody you really love and you really trust, right? Like, like my wife, Alicia, for example, I have no problems asking her for anything that I need because I know that my request always comes from love and I know that it will always be received as love. Right. But, but that has to be, that has to be there. That has to be the foundation before that just happens naturally. So if you don't have that yet, it's very important that when we make requests, they come from love. They come from a place of compassion. They come from a place of, of being clear and being powerful, but there's a difference between being clear and powerful and like being authoritative or, or, or dictating what needs to happen in a relationship. One of the things that I love that Alicia did for me actually at one point uh, when 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 I was in this really angry place in my life is I remember one time she said to me, uh, God, it was so funny. And every time I think about it, I'm like, so I'm so happy that it went the way it went because it could have gone a different way. Um, I got really, really angry about something. And, and again, she said, like, why do you react that way? And of course, I went for my go to. That's just the way I am. And she said she made a a very clear calm, intentional request that I could not argue with. And that was not an ultimatum. She said, I understand that you feel that that's the only way that you can react in the moment. And I will not be with a man who does not think he can have control over his emotions. <laughs> wow. That was it. And how could I argue with that? She didn't say you need to change. She didn't say you're doing something wrong. She just said what works for me the, the, you know, what I would now call the conditions of the game, the conditions of the game that I'm willing to play involve X, Y, and Z. And if that's not the game you want to play, that's okay. But here's the game that I want to play. Are you in or are you out? And we can do that in all of our relationships. It can be so, it can be so gentle and, and it can really be co-creative. Like when, you know, when, when people sit down to write a piece of music and, and they bring their instruments and they bring the songwriting, nobody's looking for a loophole to screw the other person later. They want to create a piece of music together. And so asking for what you want in the right situation and with the right energy can be that same kind of co-creative act. It certainly can. But I've got to say that I'm noticing all of my conditioning and patterns coming up. Like I'm hearing the beauty in that and the power and the grace. And I'm paradoxically experiencing my rebellious little emotional child that's saying, fuck that. It's manipulative. It's my way or the highway. So I'm hearing all sides to that. But it's yeah. so powerful for, for you to then choose her needs or not, you know, but I'm just noticing my little my little boy self. Uh, I was going to mention somebody that's uh, in a high ranking uh, position in our country, but I, I won't um, that that little <laughs> the little boy tantrum aspect saying, no, you know, wow, who are you to say that that's what you need? And I'm supposed to bend to that. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's the come from the, the context, the love, the care, the love in your heart for them. You know, your love in your, in your heart for her. It creates that moment of choice. She got you present and yeah. you are either going to step up 
or you were going to ship out, basically. Totally. And, and, and here's the thing that I didn't have access to back then that I do now that has made things a lot easier. And, and especially as you know, and I'm, and I'm by no means a celebrity, but as my my reach has grown, I've had, you know, the haters, the naysayers, the meanies kind of come out of the woodworks and, and say certain things about me or to me or, or whatever. And that's totally fine. Uh, it doesn't feel fine in the moment. It feels like I want to, you know, find their address and like Jay and Silent Bob them and like, you know, go beat the crap out of them. But but, you know, what I have access to now is that and, and this I attribute so much of this to to another one of my mentors who I know you love, Byron Katie, who has just changed my life in so many ways, uh, is that there is nothing that somebody can say about me that I can't find some nugget of truth in. There's there's nothing somebody could say. They could call me, and this this may sound shocking, they could call me a rapist, a racist, or a murderer. And even though it's not true in the traditional sense, I could find where there's some truth in that, right? I've killed bugs before, so I am a murderer. Right. I have forced my opinion on people who didn't want it. So in a way, I was kind of an emotional and mental rapist. Uh, I have definitely looked at other people, whether they were above or below me and judged them for some reason. That kind of, in a sense, makes me a racist. Right. Even if it's not directly related to race. So if I could see huge things like that as being truthful in me, that if somebody says, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think you you have too much energy and you're too much to handle sometimes. Yeah, I could see the truth in that. Doesn't mean I have to agree with it. Doesn't mean I have to validate what they're saying. Doesn't mean I, I succumb and change who I am. But if I can see the truth in it, there's no more me versus them. There's no more villain versus hero. It's just two human beings and I'm okay with that. Well, and the beauty in that is when you face, we face many dragons regularly. They show up to teach us. Uh, it's not about slaying it. It's about riding it. And you're riding your dragon in that moment. You're like, well, this thing's been presented. Ah, it's breathing fire on me. It wants to kill me. I'm scared. What do I do? Do I run and do I run and hide or do I or do I learn to navigate it, to understand it, to dance with it, to to make love to the psyche of all of that's happening, your psyche, the, the dragon psyche. And then remember in Avatar when they when they created the bond and they remember that their their yeah. tail connected with with the the, the 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 spirit the spirits connected and then they were woof they were they were connected and they were they were they were flying and dancing and power and grace and and uh, it was there so that's beautiful what you shared man all I right love, I, I love that yeah thank you man I appreciate but I, it I want to you're welcome I want to speak to Byron Katie because a lot of times you know people uh, will will call out the judgment and I love Byron uh, Katie's take on that where she's just like you know what we're judging all the time it's what we do right. it's the human experience so just get over it and, then, and it's funny anytime it says well you're being so judgmental and I just kind of smile and go what the heck are you doing right now you're judging <laughs> me get the fuck out of here get out of here with this judgment thing no I get it there's there's certainly levels of of you know just super gnarly, ugly judgment, like you were saying, like racism and all this other silly stuff. But you're right. The shadow side of it is we need to own it. And that's where, where I feel that when people are calling someone out for being judgmental, they're not owning an aspect of their shadow. They're just totally ignoring that they're judgmental themselves somewhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, and the issue comes in there and, and here's, here's the issue. And this is an issue a lot with coaches, right? And, and I, I was so guilty of this when I first started coaching and I probably do it once in a while still and just don't realize it. But most of the time I'm pretty good now is I, I no no CWOP, no coaching without permission, right? That's like the worst thing oh. that you can do in the world is coaching without permission. And so if I'm in a spot where somebody's judging me and I'm seeing in that moment, oh, they're not, they're not seeing how judgmental they're being. I could call that out, but that actually isn't my job, especially without permission. Right. So all I can ever do is work on how I'm relating to a person. I can't actually change the person. And, and so the way that I do that now is, and this is with any emotion you see from anybody else, whether they're angry or they're mean or they're judgmental or they're whatever, is that I ask myself, what, except for the times I don't, right? Please don't, anybody listening, please do not think for a second that I do this 100% of the time. I'm like 70% on a good day, on a really good day, 75 if I've had bulletproof coffee, but this is not like, you know, a 100% <laughs> thing. So please don't strive for 100% because it's the quickest way to, to just completely kill any forward motion. Um, but but when, I, when I hear people doing that now, when, I, when I'm really understanding and mindful of what's going on, is I can say to myself, shit, the way they're responding right now, I have been in a place before where I feel like that's the only way I can respond, right? I've been in a place before where I thought the only way I could react is to yell and scream at somebody and find fault with them. 
And that sucks to feel that way. So I can have compassion that the best this person can muster up in this moment is to yell and scream or be judgmental and just know like, God, I know what that feels like. And that sucks. Oh, so good, brother. I want, I want to inject this as uh, you probably had more to share there, but I get that. I'm, I'm in this stage now where it's like, if someone writes me off out of their lives because I got upset once, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> it's so ridiculous to me. We all have these moments of losing our shit or just not being our best selves or we're tired. You know, as Miguel Ruiz says, just do your best. It'll be different in, in, in every moment. It's different yeah. when you're yeah. tired or hungry or hangry or whatever. So, so I think compassion is really what you're suggesting. It's, it's holding the space for the, the totality of who they are. One instance of who they are does not make them up. There's a saying of, what is that saying? Uh, you, you see, see someone, you, you see really who they are when they're angry or stressed. I don't agree yeah. with that at all. I think yeah. you see them stressed. That's only one <laughs> of 50 aspects of them. So find love in your heart to recognize that they, that is not the totality of who they are. They've got all these different amazing layers. There's the sweetness, the, the scared child in them. There's the loving spirit. There's the, the worried parent, right? That story yeah. from uh, that story that uh, uh, Covey shares in uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Affected People. How, you know, there's, there's these loud, ruckus kids that come on a train. I thought it was a plane. I think they come on a train. And they're so loud. And this gentleman speaks up, or it may have been Covey. He speaks up and says, you know, hey, can you calm your kids down for crying out loud? What's wrong with you? That kind of context, right? Yeah. And it turns out, you know, the guy leans in and says, boy, I don't know what to do. Their mother just died. Mm. Right. So we never know what battle somebody's in and we should learn to not take everything so personally and be so wound up by somebody's in the moment uh, response or reaction. And yes, it may be their reactive mind. Forgive them. Find the other elements of them. Find the layers of the depth of their being. It is not their totality. Dude, I, I love that. And it's it's actually can I, can I share a super quick story? You bet. And I want to give some of that credit to Susan Leahy. She's a sweet friend. She was just on uh, podcast 12. Some of that was, was mirrored from our conversation, but go ahead. I love Susan, by the way. She is absolutely incredible and a phenomenal speaker. If you, if you haven't seen her live, speak live. She's, she's absolutely incredible. She's love amazing. her to death. Yeah. She's incredible. Um, so, but I just wanted to actually tell on myself because I had a moment like that actually at a Byron Katie weekend. And, uh, and it doesn't, it obviously doesn't feel good to like admit that I did this, but it's like, it, it's, it's a part of who I am. And I think it's really cool to like, see how this stuff still comes up for us. Even when we do a lot of work is I was sitting there and, and it was a smaller intimate thing. It wasn't like a huge thing. I don't think there were, I don't know, maybe 70 people or something. And I'm sitting kind of right up on the front and this, this man comes up on stage to do the work with Katie and he sits down and he's there his two sons are in the front row. They're like in their twenties and he's probably in his sixties. And uh, he gets up on there and he starts to read his worksheet and he starts off his worksheet and he says, I'm angry at ISIS. And then he's like, Oh, I, I need my glasses. And he, and he motions to his son to hand him his glasses so he can read the paper. And immediately I got, I go into judgment mode. I'm like, dude, get over it. They're fucking, they're terrorists. They're in the middle. You can't do anything about it. Like, wh why are you wasting all of our time being up on stage talking about being angry at ISIS? And I'm just sitting there like all in my own shit. Like, this is such a waste. Get somebody else up there. And then he gets his glasses and he continues. I'm angry at ISIS, my wife for dying of cancer and leaving us all alone. Oh my God, dude. And, and in, like that, in that moment, I think, you know, I had done a lot of study and a lot of whatever in that moment, I really got the power of, of judgment in that way and compassion and, and not thinking I know the answer to everything and living more in the, I don't know mind. That was such a huge thing for me. So, so just, and we've heard this a billion times, like we don't, we never know the battles people are going through. Right. But like, it's so important that we really take that out into the world because we want to raise the collective consciousness of the universe. It's not going to happen by jumping to conclusions. I promise. Oh man. Thank you for that. That was a, that was a brilliant gift. Wow. Welcome. I'm, I'm literally just taking that in. And I'm sure all the listeners are too. Okay, man. So where does everybody find you, Jason? Let's, uh, where, where's everybody find you? 
Yeah, I mean, I hang out a lot on Facebook, so definitely check me out on Facebook. You can actually go to www.fbjason.com, like facebookjason.com, and it'll take you over to my Facebook page. Uh, and my website, you can hit me up, is uh, thejasongoldberg.com. Jasongoldberg.com was taken, so I had to find the most pretentious URL I could. <laughs> so I got the Jason Goldberg, and oh, now it's God. become like a thing online where people follow me, and they go, oh, are you the Jason? I'm like, screw you. So so thejasongoldberg.com, and, uh, and happy to connect with you guys. And also, I'm going to give you a special uh, link, Brad, if you want to share this with your followers to get a free copy of Prison Break, a digital or a physical copy uh, for your listeners. So I'll give that to you. And if you want to share that with them, that would be awesome. Beautiful. You can share it now as well. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, if you want to share it, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So it's thejasongoldberg.com slash Brad. Well, I'm feeling extra special. You are special, dude. I'm so excited to be here with you. You're a rock star. I love it, Ben. All right. So what, what is one final bit of wisdom or heart or uh, strategy you want to share with everybody as we wrap here? Hmm. So as soon as you said that, I kind of like looked up to just kind of see what came up for me. And I'm presented with this huge piece of white flip chart paper that's on the wall in front of me that I just put up like in the last week. And so I, I'm going to share what's written on that. Yeah, but hold on. Uh, it's not blank. Did you just go blank? There's something there. Okay. No. <laughs> and you're buying yourself You're buying yourself time to come up with something good? I'm just teasing. Go ahead, bro. Hurry. Somebody get me a book. Somebody get me a cold book. Uh, so uh, I, I literally just screamed at nobody. My dog is looking at me now like, I, I don't know what you're saying. Uh, so so what's on this piece of flip chart paper in front of me has become uh, my my one of my guiding principles in life. And, you know, in, in the corporate world, we had SOPs, right? Standard operating procedures. And, and, and I now have a new standard operating procedure, which is actually also an SOP, but it stands for something different. So in front of me on this white flip chart paper, it says, always remember to bring your SOP and your SOS. And what those stand for is always remember to bring your spirit of play and your spirit of service. And to me, when I show up that way, as much as I can, not 100% of the time always, but as much as I can show up with a spirit of play and a spirit of service, my life just works. I have more impact and the world just seems like a better place, at least to me. That was so good, but it was so fucking serious, dude. What about SOB? Where does SOB come in there? <laughs> SOB, spirit of bacon. Yes, <laughs> spirit of bacon. Yeah, but you Sim- are a baconitarian, right? A vegetarian, <laughs> correct? I'm a baconitarian. My my Jewish grandmother loves the fact that A, I have a tattoo and B, I eat bacon. Like now I can definitely not be buried in a Jewish cemetery. So all that's right. all gone. <laughs> I love it, brother. Jason, it's been awesome. This is This has just been so... Uh, heart opening and spirit opening and mind opening. And I just feel the, my whole body feels relaxed and, and uh, not too, too relaxed. So don't get any weird, uh, weird decisions. <laughs> like I'm still safe in my boundaries here, buddy. <laughs> Good for um, you. Yeah. But just, uh, just really, really, uh, yeah, like not Bill Cosby relaxed, bro. I'm good. Oh, good, good. Oh, good. I, you know what? But my water tastes a little funny, so I didn't know oh, maybe shit. somehow across the internet. <laughs> it's horrible. Dude, this has seriously been one of the raunchiest, like no <laughs> fucking holds bars. We've sworn, we've, we've, we've been cussing the entire time, and I, I love the rawness, and that's really part of my commitment, and I pray that everybody listening uh, has that level of readiness to be raw and full of yourself the good the bad the ugly the judgmental self the the happy self the scared self the emotional wreck self fucking own it all stop pretending any of it's bad or good own all aspects of who you are preach yes soapbox baby all right we'll end it there brother jason thank you again brother so much love my pleasure man love you bro i love you too I want to thank our guest for sharing his heart and brilliance with us. Thank you, Jason Goldberg. We're also grateful for your contribution to the world. You can find out more about Jason at jasongoldberg.com. And as we dive deeper into facing your dragon, I want to offer the opportunity for you to discover the number one hidden fear stopping you from earning what you're worth. Be sure to take the one minute quiz at couragequiz.com. And if there's something here I mentioned that you want to review again, keep in mind, we keep all the notes for you, including links to everything we've talked about today. You can find the show notes for this episode at faceyourdragon.com forward slash episode 015. And finally, I would like to invite you to subscribe and leave a five-star review for the Face Your Dragon podcast by visiting faceyourdragon.com forward slash subscribe. 
Be sure to share this episode with your tribe on social media if it was useful for you. We'd love that. Join our conversation in the Face Your Dragon Facebook group as we'll talk more about your greatest fears being the very thing that will set you free. Tune in to episode 16 because I'll be talking with the most spiritual dude that has ever walked the face of this earth, the ultra-spiritual J.P. Sears. <laughs> so, so cool. Best known for his over 250 million views of his hysterical spoofs on pretty much anything, but mostly focused on the spiritualisms we all have to deal with in some circles. Not just super funny, he's a very awake, super cool dude. It's a good one. Listen in as we discuss how laughing at ourselves and our ego can create a much bigger impact and income for you and why taking the leap into your true voice and being raw and real will set you free. This incredible being and many more on the Face Your Dragon podcast. See you on the next show. And remember, when you face your dragon and take the leap, you will break free.